عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد so inshallah ta'ala today we're going to continue with our tafsir from uh, Surah Al-Buruj inshallah ta'ala we're on verse 15 uh, ta'ala. but before we do just to briefly recap what we did last week in which we covered verses 12, 13 and 14 and we came to what is the uh, if you like the second half of this surah in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins this part or this passage with the statement and we mentioned the position of some of the scholars of tafsir uh, including Ibn Mas'ud and others that said that this verse, verse number uh, 12 is the jawab al-qasam it is the reason for which Allah takes the initial oaths with which this surah begins and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by mentioning the word inna Allah also places a number of, of emphasis or a number of literary ways of placing emphasis in this verse. From them is the word inna, which means indeed and verily. And from them is the lamb, which is lam at-tawqeed, la shadid. And this is something which is done in the Quran uh, to show that it is something which is extremely important. Uh, there are examples of this that you will find in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you look out for this, the Lam at tawqeed with the word inna, it is done in a number of places in the book of Allah Azza wa Jalla. Allah Azza wa Jalla wants to establish something as being absolute and true and real. Uh, real. For example, in the statement of Allah Azza wa Jalla, they ask you, is this the truth? Meaning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa the Quraysh, the Arabs, is this really the truth? Allah Azza wa Jalla responds and says, "Qul wa Rabbi innahu lahaq." And look at how many ways Allah Azza wa Jalla stresses this: that yes, this religion, this message, the Quran is true. E, which is the affirmative, yes, wa Rabbi, by my Lord. So it's an oath that he takes by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Innahu verily it lahaq. And then Allah Azza wa Jalla adds the name of Tawqeed, It is indeed true. So Allah Azza wa Jalla four ways, four times or four different ways Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasizes or stresses the importance of what is going to be mentioned. This is one of the ways of eloquence in the Quran, in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to stress something that is important. And we said that this surah speaks about the issue of those believers and the mu'mineen and the awliya of Allah azza wa jalla that suffer difficulty and oppression and hardship in the dunya and in their lives and they're persecuted as a result of their religion and their faith and their tawheed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at how Allah azza wa jalla responds. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Answers and he says, Inna batsha rabbika Indeed, the anger of your Lord or the punishment of your Lord is extremely severe. So that there can be no doubt, that there can be no uh, misunderstanding on anyone's behalf that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold people to account on Yom Al Qiyamah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then said in the following verse after that, Inna huwa yubdi wa yu'id, He is the one who begins, He is the one who repeats subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we said that the scholars of tafsir have two positions as to what that's referring to. What does Allah begin? What does he repeat? The majority, or the uh, especially uh, or what seems to be the case of the majority, as Imam Al-Qurtubi and others said, 
are of the position that is referring to creation. That Allah is the one who begins creation, Allah is the one who repeats creation. Subhanahu wa ta'ala meaning resurrection on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And other scholars, and this was the second position, and it was chosen by the likes of Imam Al-Tabari, the Imam of the Mufassirin, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. He said that it's referring to the punishment that Allah was referring to in that previous verse, Inna Batsha Rabbika la Shadeed. So Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is referring to that punishment, and Allah is saying that He is the one who begins punishment, He is the one who repeats punishment, meaning that the adab began in this dunya, and that tafsir, particular tafsir, works well with the position of those scholars who said that Allah Azza wa Jal punished those people who harmed the believers in the dunya by making that fire also overcome and consume them. When Allah Azza wa Jal said, for example, فَلَهُمْ عَذَابُ جَهَنَّمْ وَلَهُمْ عَذَابُ الْحَرِيقُ As we said, some of the scholars said that that's emphasis. Others said, no, it's referring to the adab of the dunya and then the adab of jahannam in the akhirah. And so you have those two positions. So the position of Imam Al-Tabri works well with that particular tafsir or that position of some of the scholars of tafsir that Allah Azza wa Jal, it is the punishment of the dunya that began upon them, the punishment of the akhirah that will be repeated upon them as we know, uh, as, as will happen on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And then Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala said, وَهُوَ الْغَفُورُ الْوَدُودِ Then He is the one who is most forgiving, the one who is most loving, Subh'anaHu Wa Taala. And that is that Allah Azza wa Jal forgives and Allah Azza wa Jal loves his awliya and Allah Azza wa Jal loves the people who make tawbah and return to his path even if there are people who initially sinned or led a life of sin or led a life of kufr and disbelief and dhulm and oppression. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives and Allah Azza wa Jal loves his awliya. And from the love that he has for his awliya is his protection of them or for them. And from the love that he has for his awliya subhanahu wa ta'ala is that Allah Azza wa Jal gives to them the path that will ease them towards Jannah, make easy for them the path that will take them towards Jannah. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does as he as he commands or does as he pleases subhanahu wa ta'ala. In today's lesson we're going to continue as I said from verse number 15 and that is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim dhul majid the glorious lord of the throne or in the uh, translation of Sahih International, Honorable Owner of the Throne, and Muhsin Khan, Owner of the Throne, the Glorious, and Mufti Taqi, the Master of the Throne, the Glorious. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse, verse number 15, He speaks about His throne, subhanahu wa ta'ala, the throne of Allah azza wa jal, is the greatest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creations. From everything that Allah azza wa jal created, the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the greatest of his creations, Jalla fi his creation. The greatest of them is the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why Allah azza wa in the Quran and in the Sunnah, the Arsh of Allah azza wa is referred to in, in I think, two ways, if, if memory serves me right. The first of them is as Allah azza wa does in this verse that he describes as being Al-Majid, according to one of the positions of Tafsir, as we will see. Uh, in this verse, when we inshallah ta'ala in a few minutes, uh, one of the ways that it's described is that it is al majid, and the word majid means something that comes from al majid, and al majid is glory and it is honor and it is power, and it also means nobility. And that's why Ibn Abbas said that it means al kareem because the second description of the throne that is given in the Sunnah and in the Quran is that it is al arsh al kareem. 
that it is a Kareem throne. And the word Karam comes from nobility and it also means generosity. Because the one who is noble from the greatest acts or from the greatest characteristics of nobility is generosity. And that's why they have the same root word or the same word is used to denote both meanings. And so Allah Azza wa and that's why Ibn Abbas, uh, and this is from his knowledge of tafsir, knowledge of the Quran, that these are the two words that are used to describe the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he said when he said in this tafsir that Al-Majid refers to Al-Kareem. And that's the same as Al-Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that it is Dhul Arsh Al-Kareem, that it is referring to the nobility of the throne, that it is honorable, that it is noble, that it is glorious. And there are two positions of tafsir here based upon uh, two readings of this verse. Uh, this verse, verse number 15, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Dhul Arsh Al-Majid, Allah Azza wa says, He is the one, the possessor of the throne, or the Lord of the throne, Al-Majid, the glorious. Now in the translations that we have, um, if you look at, for example, the uh, the the... the, the Translation of Professor Abdul Halim, the glorious Lord. But in the other ones that we mentioned, um, honorable owner of the throne, the master of the throne, the glorious, owner of the throne, the glorious, there is a difference even in those translations. The translation of Professor Abdul Halim refers to the uh, refers to Allah Azza wa Jal being the one that is Al Majid, not the throne. He says the glorious Lord of the throne. So he says that al-majid is an attribute or description of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as opposed to the throne. Whereas others, it could be said in their translation, the glorious, they don't necessarily say outright, but it's possible that what they're referring to is that it is the throne that is glorious. Mufti Taqi, the master of the throne, the glorious. Muhsin Khan, owner of the throne, the glorious. Now is the glorious referring to Allah Azza wa Jal? Because he's the one who's the possessor. So is al-majid referring to the dhu, the possessor? Because the dhu means the owner, the possessor, the master. That's what dhu means. Or is it referring to the throne itself? That that is what is glorious. So you have these two positions amongst the scholars of tafsir. And it is based upon, and both of them are correct by the way, because both of them are based upon readings, qiraat, that this, uh, that this, uh, verse, that this verse is read with. The reading of the majority, such as the one that we read in, the reading of Asim uh, and Hafs and Shu'ba and, and Ibn Kathir and, and Nafi' with his uh, riwayat and Abu Amr, the majority of the Qur'a, they read the way that we read. And that is that Al-Majid has a Dhamma at the end. So if you look at the Arabic, if you have the Arabic Qur'an in front of you open or you go to Quran.com or any of these websites, and you look at the Arabic of the verse, verse number 15 of Surah Al-Buruj, you will see that at the end of Al-Majid, and obviously because we normally pause, we don't read the last vowel, we don't read the harakah on the last vowel when you pause, you essentially pause on what we would consider to be a sukun. But if you were to continue to read, you would read it in our reading, ذُو الْعَرْشِ الْمَجِيدُ فَعَالُ لِمَا يُرِيدُ We would read it with a dhamma. So because it has a dhamma, therefore it's referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. ذُو is in the marfu' position. For those of you that have studied Arabic, let words like dhu, if it was going to have a, the waw denotes a dhamma. The waw denotes a dhamma, just like the alif denotes a fatha, the ya denotes a kasra. Like you say, vi, vil jalali, walikram. 
So here Allah says Dhu. So when we say Al-Majidu, then that's also referring to, you know, in Arabic, this is going back to, because it has the same harakah, so therefore it's referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah is Al-Majid. And we know, as we will mention, inshallah ta'ala, in a short while, in a short while that from the names of Allah Azza wa Jalla is that He is Al Majid Subhanahu Wa Taala. That's from the names of Allah Azza wa Jalla. That's why in our salah, in, in the prayer, the salutations that we send upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what we call the Salat Al Ibrahimiyah, the Salat that has salutations upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and upon his forefather Ibrahim Alaihi Salam. We say at the end of it, Innahu Hamidun Majid. Allah Azza wa Jalla is Al Hamid. Allah Azza wa Jalla is Majid. And Allah Azza wa mentions this also as we will see in the verse in Surah Hud. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore if he's saying Dhul Arsh al-Majidu, it's referring to Allah Azza wa an attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the reading of the majority of the Qur'an. Out of the ten, there are the Mutawatir Qur'an. And inshallah by now we know who the Qur'an are. We're familiar with the concept of Qira'at. And for those of you that just joined us this year or you're not so familiar, it's found in one of the specials that we've done. So when you go to the portal, one of the specials that we've done in QP, We've done a number of them, but one of them was on Qira'at. And I think, from what I remember, is one of the earliest ones that we did. One of the first specials that we did was on the topic of Qira'at or the science of the Qira'at. So there are ten Qura' whose recitations and readings are mutawatir that we still read with, that people still study and learn and benefit from, and they still read it. They are still read uh, by people across the Muslim world. Seven out of those ten readers we do with a Dhamma. The other three, and those three being Hamza, Al-Kisai, and Khalaf Al-Ashir. Hamza, Kisai, and Khalaf Al-Ashir. And all of them are from Kufa. We have four Qurra, or five, or four, four from the from the Kufiyun. The only one of the Kufis that doesn't read the way that these three read is Asim, the one that we read with. The one that we read with, he goes with everyone else. The other three, from Kufa, Hamza, Al-Kisai, and Khalaf Al-Ashir, they read it with a Kasra at the end of the verse. So they say, Dhul Arsh Al-Majidi, not Majidu, they say Dhul Arsh Al-Majidi. So what has the Kasra before, uh, which word has the Kasra before Al-Majid? It's the word Al-Arsh. So therefore, according to that Qira'ah, it's referring to the Arsh as being Al-Majid, the throne of Allah Azza wa Jal, that is glorious, that is noble, that is honorable. And so that's why you have these two tafsir, these two positions that you find amongst the scholars of tafsir. And that's what Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, mentioned in his tafsir. And he said, وَاخْتَلَفَتِ الْمَجِيد That the scholars of qira'at, they differed concerning the statement of Allah Azza wa Jalla al-Majid. And as you said before in the biography of Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he was from the imams of qira'at. Well known, anyone that reads his tafsir, We'll see this. And he didn't just restrict himself because at that time they didn't just restrict themselves only to the ten qira'at in that way, but they still were very familiar with the qira'at of the others that today we would call shad, that we don't read with, but we still have their narrations come to us. We still know some of the readings that they used to read with, like the qira'at of Amash, the qira'at of Al Hassan al Basri, the qira'at of, of, um, uh, of, of uh, Al Yahsubi, the a number of qira'at that are still found within terms of narrations and so on. So Al-Tabari often mentions this within his tafsir. He said that the reading of the majority of the reciters of Medina and Mecca and Basra, right? so Medina being the likes of Nafi', Mecca being the likes of Ibn Kathir, Basra being the likes of Abu Amr. And he says in some of the Kufis, like Al-Asim, like they read it 
so that it would be in accordance or it would be a description of dhu, he says, that it is a description of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, an attribute of Allah azza wa jal. And he said, and the majority of the Kufi readers, as we said, Hamza, Kisai, Khalif al-Ashir, they read al-Majid with a kasra, al-Majidi, that it is a description of the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And both of those are correct, as we said, the qiraat are like additional tafsir. It's like the, the Allah, both of them are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this is something which both of them are correct. The, the throne of Allah azza wa jal is noble and honorable. And Allah azza wa jal himself subhanahu wa ta'ala is noble and he is honorable jalla fi Al-Imam ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he said in, this, in the tafsir of this verse, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the Qur'an, or sorry, that Allah Azza wa Jal in this verse, He mentions the Arsh, the throne belonging to Him. He attributed the Arsh, the throne to Himself. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does when He wants to show that something is, something is, it is, something is big or something is close to Him subhanahu wa ta'ala or something is special. Allah Azza wa Jal mentions certain things that he ascribes to himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like for example when he says that he is Dhul Quwa Al-Mateen, that he is the possessor of all strength, or that he is Dhul Izza, the one who possesses all power, or that he is Dhul Mulk, the one who possesses all kingdom, or he is Dhul Rahma, the one who possesses all mercy, or he is Dhul Jalali Wal Ikram, the one who possesses all might, all honor, all nobility subhanahu wa ta'ala. And other examples he says. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, Allah azza wa jal, when he describes himself as being, or describes for himself, or, or attributes to himself, rather, his throne, it is to show the greatness of that throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why we said, as we have one of the qira'at, that the word al-majid is the description of the throne of Allah azza wa jal, that Allah's throne is noble, that Allah's throne subhanahu wa ta'ala is honorable, that Allah's throne is, is, uh, is something which is, which is worthy of him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is because Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, as Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala then goes on to say that the word al-majid or the description of Allah Azza wa Jal as being al-majid is because the word al-majid refers to the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it means al-majid that he is glorious, that he is noble, that he is honorable subhanahu wa ta'ala meaning the role of the attributes of Allah that are in and of themselves perfect, in and of themselves are attributes that, are, that have no deficiency in them. There are so many of them that all together they make up that Allah or all together they show that Allah is al-Majid. Because none of us can enumerate the attributes of Allah None of us know the full scope of the reality of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why the attributes of Allah or the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we know are limited. We don't know all of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We know some of them, those that Allah told us about, those that the Prophet sallallahu informed us of, but we don't know all of the names of Allah azza wa There are names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we don't know, that are from the knowledge of the unseen, that Allah azza wa didn't tell us about. And that is why the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu that Allah has 99 names, whosoever memorizes them or enumerates them will enter into Jannah, it is the position of a number of the scholars of Islam that that 99 isn't uh, restrictive. Doesn't mean that it's the sum total 
of the names of Allah Azza wa Jal, but rather it means either that these are the 99 that we know, or that Allah has many, but if you suffice with 99, then that is enough. And that's why, as we know, a number of the scholars like Imam Tirmidhi did in his famous collection of hadith and others, they try to enumerate them, or they try to bring narrations that gather these 99. And many scholars have done this, by the way, over the ages, whether through a hadith like a Tirmidhi does, or whether just by going through the various verses of the Quran and a hadith that are found in the Sunnah, trying to extract names and partaking, 99 or bringing 99. And that's why there's a number of them, as we know, in which there is a difference of opinion. Is it actually a name of Allah Azza wa Jal? Or is it just an attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Because not every attribute is the name of Allah Azza wa Jal. Not every attribute is a name of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza wa Jal has names that we don't know of. And that's mentioned in the dua. In the dua that we read, the people of Quran, when we say, Allah, Oh Allah, we are your slaves. The famous dua that is going that, that is mentioned, and then at the end we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to make the Quran the spring of our hearts and, uh, and, and, and the remover of our sorrows and so that famous dua that I think uh, all of us are familiar with in that dua we say we ask you Allah by every name that belongs to you that you named yourself with or you revealed it in your book the Quran أو علمته أحدا من خلقك أو you taught it to any of your creation meaning the prophets of Allah عز وجل the prophets of Allah عليه وسلم أو استأثرت به في علم الغيب عنده or you kept it from the knowledge of the unseen with yourself of Allah so the dua which is a prophetic dua the prophets of Allah عليه وسلم is telling us that there are names that Allah عز وجل has named himself with that we know because they are found in the Quran or he taught it to some of his creation so we know it through them and they are the prophets and messengers of Allah because no one else knows the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala other than them. Or it is from the knowledge of the unseen. Meaning that there are names of Allah therefore that me and you don't know about. And that's not only that but it comes to adhkar, dhikr of Allah azza wa jal, hamd of Allah azza wa jal, words of praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are words that we don't know. So we know alhamdulillah, we know subhanallah, we know Allahu Akbar, we know la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. We know these because they're found in the Quran, they're found in the sunnah of the Prophet But there are other names or other terms or statements or words of dhikr of praising Allah and glorifying Him that we don't know. That Allah has kept with Himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is shown in the hadith of al-shafa'ah, in the hadith of intercession on Yawm al-Qiyamah, when the people will go to the different Prophets on the Day of Judgment. They will go to Adam and Nuh and Ibrahim and Musa and Isa والسلام, asking for their intercession before Allah that Allah begins their counting on that day because the day will be difficult and it will be long and the people will be sweating profusely and they will be made to wait on a day that is extraordinarily long and so the people will want the accounting to begin so that at least the people can move on to the next stage so they will go to these prophets of Allah seeking their intercession each one of them will point after absorbing himself point to the next prophet until finally Isa salam says go to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam for he is the one abdun ghafar Allahu lahu he is the one that Allah forgave all his past sins, all his future sins. So when they come to the Prophet and he accepts that he will make the shafa'ah, and that's the shafa'ah that we ask and make dua for at the end of every single adhan. When you hear the adhan and the dua that you make at the end, Allahumma rabba tama wa salatin qaima, that famous dua, that's referring to that 
the maqam al-mahmud and so that's what it's referring to that shafa'ah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam but in the hadith such as in the hadith of anas ibn malik radiyallahu anhu and others the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that i will then come before my lord and i will fall into prostration and he will teach to me tahmid words of praise that i didn't know in one narration one of the weddings of anas radiyallahu he said that no creation knew before me nor would any creation know after me. That's what the wording of the hadith says. So Allah would teach the Prophet words of praise that no one knew or that were not revealed in the dunya. No Prophet knew this, no human knew this. It wasn't mentioned in any of the revelations of Allah. No Prophet of Allah, no Messenger of Allah were given these words of praise. They are reserved for the Prophet so that he may praise his Lord and Creator with them on Yawm Al Qiyamah. And that is when Allah Azza will then say to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in some wordings it said, and he will leave me there for as long as he wills. MashaAllah, he will leave me for as long as he wills, meaning Allah will leave the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in that position of sujood, praising him, glorifying him until he will subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah Azza will say, oh Muhammad, raise your head, ask you will be given, request, it will be granted, to shafa', make your intercession, it will be accepted. And that is when the Prophet will make intercession for it to begin, or in some narrations, he will make intercession for some of the believers to leave from the Hellfire and go into Jannah and so on. And there are different wordings and so on. But the point being here that there are words of praise, therefore, that no one knows except Allah. Names of Allah that belong to Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the point that Ibn Qayyim is making here is that Allah has many names. We know at least 99 of them, if not more. And then there are others that we don't know of. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by giving us so many of his names, it shows that he is the one full of nobility, the one that is all honorable subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one to whom belongs all glory. That is the meaning of al-majid. And all of them, all of those names of Allah, all of those attributes of Allah azza wa jal, are praiseworthy. All of them are, be, are, are befitting to him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why, uh, that is why, Everything that belongs to Allah Azza wa Jalla is worthy of praise. And this is why when some of the Muslims came, as we know, in some of the sects and they denied Allah's names, they denied Allah's attributes. They said that they don't, Allah doesn't have names or Allah doesn't have attributes or that they're just labels that have no meaning. This is what they're devoiding Allah Azza wa Jalla from. Look at the beauty of these names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what they refer to and what they mean. And the iman that it increases in the believer when they know that this is what our Lord and Creator subhanahu wa ta'ala these are the names and attributes by which he is known and by the way that he describes himself, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why, uh, as Allah Azza wa Jal does in the Qur'an, and as is mentioned in the Sunnah, Allah Azza wa Jal, when he, when he, uh, when he subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he um, uh, pairs the name Al-Majid in the Qur'an, it is with Al-Hamid. That Allah Azza wa Jal is Hamidun Majid. Allah is praiseworthy. And then he is Al-Majid, All-Glorious, All-Noble, All-Honorable, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah pairs the two names because the God, the, the, the God or the Creator that is Al-Majid because all of his names and attributes are perfect. All of them are worthy of praise, then deserves to be praised. And that is why in Surah Hud, when in the story of Ibrahim والسلام, when the angels come in the form of men and Ibrahim والسلام, gives them food, but they don't eat, and so he becomes afraid, and they say, don't, don't be afraid. We're going to go to the people of Lut, and we're going to bring Allah's punishment to them. That's why Allah sent us. But before we go there, we're coming to you, because Allah is giving to you the bushra, the good news, that you have a child. 
his wife Sarah was standing there and they gave her the good news we gave her the good news of Ishaq and then after Ishaq would come Ya'qub he was given this glad tidings what does Sarah say she says is it possible that I can still give birth and I'm an old woman and my husband Ibrahim is an old man this is something which is indeed strange so what does well, how do the angels respond are you amazed by Allah's command you the family of Ibrahim are the least people that should be surprised the least people that should be that should be amazed by these commands of Allah because the whole life of, of Ibrahim is a testament to the power of Allah the the way that Allah his divine care his protection for his own yeah how many times in the life of Ibrahim when he's with his people, when he's with his father, when he's calling them to Tawheed, when they want to throw him into the fire, when they try to kill him, when he's exiled and he goes to Namrud and he tries to do what he does to, to his wife Sarah, when he leaves Ismail and his mother Hajar in the valley of Mecca, all of these are signs from the signs of Allah Azza wa Jalla. Are you amazed by the affair of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu alaykum ahlal bayt. May the mercy of Allah and his blessings be upon you, O the people of this household. Innahu Hamidun Majid, for Allah Azza wa is worthy of all praise and He is worthy of all glory, all honor, and all nobility, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is how the angels respond. And because of this, this is how we it is from the greatest ways of praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why the salah that we send upon the Prophet وسلم, in our prayer, the greatest way of sending salat and salam, as we know, or the greatest wording of salat and salam is the one that's mentioned. In the Salatul Ibrahimiyyah, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad, kama salli ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim, innaka hamidun majid. Allahumma barik ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad, kama barakta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim, innaka hamidun majid. Oh Allah, send your salah and send your blessings upon Muhammad and the family of Muhammad as you did upon Ibrahim and in his family. Because that's what Allah Azza wa said in the Quran in Surah Hud. Didn't we just say, the angel said, may Allah's blessings, his mercy be upon you. You, for Allah is Hamidun Majid. So we say, just as you did that for Ibrahim and his family, then likewise do it for our Prophet and his family. Majid. For you, Allah, are worthy of all praise, and you are all noble, all glorious, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is something which is therefore found within uh, the salah and within a number of adhkar that we join between these two names of Allah Hamidun Majid. In the salah, when you stand up from ruku'ah, Sami'allahu liman hamida, Rabbana walaka alhamd, from the du'as that you make or that are mentioned in the sunnah, hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi, mil as-samawati wa mil al-ardi wa mil ama shayta min shayin ba'd, ahla al-thana'i wal-majd, ahakku ma qalahu al-abd wa kulluna laka abd. You say the noble du'a, hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi, uh, that Allah is worthy of a praise that is pure and blessed and full of goodness. That is what Allah is worthy of. And the hadith of Anas, uh, an, it is said that the Prophet وسلم, was once in salah and a man was hurrying to catch the rak'ah, but he came late. So the Prophet said, Allah and so he entered into the salah and he said this, and he said it loud because he was out of breath. And so the Prophet heard what he was saying. So after the salah, the Prophet ﷺ said, who, who made that dua? 
So no one answered. In one narration, no one spoke. The Prophet said, who made it? Because he didn't say anything wrong. I just want to know who said it. The man said, I did, O Messenger of Allah. I was hurrying, I was rushing, I was short of breath. I entered into the salah and I didn't catch the rak'ah, but this is what I said. The Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I saw 12 angels, each one of them competing, racing with the other to write down what you said, to take it to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And so it's something which is beloved to Allah Azza because it encompasses in those few short, concise words, the praise of Allah Azza wa Jal. But in one dua, it continues and it says, the fill of the heavens and the fill of the earth and the fill of everything in between them, meaning the praise of Allah Azza wa Jal. For Allah is worthy of all praise. He is worthy of all glory and all honor. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the truest thing that any servant has said and all of us are slaves and servants to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Ibn Qayyim says and see how Allah Azza wa Jal joins between this not only once or twice, a number of places in the Quran. And so Allah Azza wa Jal is worthy subhanahu wa ta'ala of all praise. He is worthy of all glory subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even on the recitation or the qira'ah of the kasra that Allah Azza wa Jal that it is the throne that is the one that is noble or the one that has been described as being noble, the one that has been described as being honorable and so on, that is also from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as Ibn Qayyim ta'ala says, that Allah Azza wa when he gave or he made his throne a noble throne, when he made his throne an honorable throne, then Allah Azza wa that is a sign of the nobility of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his glory jalla fi ula, because it is the closest thing to him subhanahu wa ta'ala, as Allah mentions in the Quran, ar-Rahmanu ala al-Arsh istawa, Allah Azza wa ascended above the throne, so it is the closest of Allah's creations to him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he built it, Jalla fi ula, or he created it, rather, subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the way that he chose best, Jalla fi ula. And so this is why Ibn Qayyim, wa ta'ala, and he goes into some detail, because obviously we have people who deny certain attributes of Allah, Azza wa Jalla, and so on. And so he says this is as a result of the lack of knowledge and understanding of the, of the text of the Qur'an and the text of the Sunnah of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when some of them said, that by describing the throne as being Majid, we can't describe as Allah Allah being Majid. Because this is the same. How can we describe the creator, the creation as being the same way? And Ibn Qayyim says, no, that's not the case. Because we have two qira'at that are mutawatir from the Prophet wasallam, So revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that shows this. And Allah Azza wa Jal has told us, as mentioned in, in the hadith in Sahih Ibn Hibban, the narration of Ibn Hibban in the Sahih of Abu Dharr radiallahu an. The Prophet ﷺ gave an example of the earth and the heavens and the example of his kursi and the example of his throne. And the scholars uh, have a discussion as to what is the difference between the throne of Allah his arsh, and the kursi of Allah because we have, as we know, verses that speak about the kursi of Allah. Ayatul kursi. Wasi'a kursiyuhu samawati wal ard. His kursi has encompassed the heavens and the earth the kursi of Allah Azza wa Jal, what is that referring to? Some of them said it is one and the same. The arsh and the kursi are one and the same. Because the word kursi, in our uh, time anyway, in, in, in Arabic language, one of the words that it is, or one of the meanings that, that it is used for is a chair. Something that you sit upon. So what is the difference between an arsh and between a kursi? The position that was chosen by a number of the scholars and seems to be the strongest and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. And as mentioned in some narrations as well, that the kursi is mawdi'ul qadameen. The kursi is the footstool of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is, place, it is the place where he places his feet, jalla fi ula, in a manner 
which befits his majesty and Allah knows best how that is only Allah knows its reality and the arsh is the arsh of Allah it is his throne subhanahu wa ta'ala the prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wasallam in this hadith in ibn hibban the hadith of abu dar radiyallahu anhu is mentioned also as a statement of some of the companions not as a hadith but as some of the statement of some of the companions such as abdullah ibn abbas radiyallahu anhuma that they said that the example uh, of the kursi of Allah and the arsh of Allah in comparison to the heavens and the throne that the size of the kursi of Allah, the footstool of Allah when being compared to the heavens and the earth is like the example of a ring in the middle of a desert. So if you for example imagine going to the Sahara Desert that vast landscape that stretches for miles and miles and miles and then you were to take off a ring from your finger that small round ring and you were to throw it into the middle of that desert. The example of that ring, that's the heavens and the earth in comparison to the desert which is the kursi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show you the vastness of the creation of Allah azza wa jal. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran when he, when he speaks about the arsh of Allah azza wa jal, it was there before. It is one of the earliest creations and I think we mentioned this before. The scholars of Islam, they differ as to what was the first of Allah's creations. Some of them said, that it's the pen based on the hadith and I think I'm pretty sure we've we've covered this before if I if I can remember correctly I'm sure this has come up in, in lessons before some of them said that it's the pen because of the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that Allah Azza said to the pen write and he said what shall I write and he said write everything that will be others said that it is the arsh of Allah the first creation of Allah was his arsh another said that it is the water because Allah says subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran وَكَانَ عَرْشُهُ عَلَى الْمَاءِ his water his, his throne was upon the water and so they differ over these issues but it is to show you the size and the vastness of Allah's creation that the kursi of Allah is like a desert compared to the heavens and the earth that are like a ring and then the hadith continues and it says and the example of the throne of Allah when compared to the kursi of Allah is also like the example of a ring that is thrown into the middle of the desert and that is something which shows to you therefore and the statement of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah is, is very similar in meaning also. So this shows to you the vastness of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How vast it is. How amazing it is. How big it is. How expansive it is. And it is something which we can't even begin to fathom or to imagine. We see what we see with our human eyes. We see the sun. We see the earth. We see the moon. We see whatever we see now of space and so on. And we think, wow, that's a vast creation. And the earth is a tiny part of that creation of the creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can you imagine then that if the heavens and the earth and everything within it is like a ring compared to the kursi of Allah azza wa jal. And then the kursi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like a ring compared to the throne of Allah azza wa jal. And Allah is greater subhanahu wa ta'ala than all of that jalla fi ula. So then isn't Allah azza wa jal hamidun majid, worthy of all praise, worthy of all glory? That is the Lord that you are worshipping. So when you place your head on the ground in sajda, when you make sujood, when you make ruku', when you make dua, when you turn to Allah Azza wa Jal, when you trust in Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, when you ask of Allah Azza wa Jal and you show humility and humbleness before Him Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, everything that you do as a believer, that is the Lord the Creator that you are doing it for. That's the one that you are making dua from, that's the one that you are trusting in, that's the one that you fear and that you love and that you hope from Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. And that is the one that has created this vast creation, Jalla fi Ula. So he is worthy of all praise. 
And that is why, as we've mentioned before, the believers are people of hamd, people of praise. And it was the position of a number of the scholars of Islam, as I, I think we've already uh, we've mentioned before as well, that the greatest dhikr after La ilaha illallah, according to a number of the scholars, is Alhamdulillah. That the greatest dhikr that you can make after the statement of Tawheed is Alhamdulillah, to praise Allah Azza wa Jal. And that is why the Quran begins with the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah Azza wa Jal therefore is worthy of all praise. He is worthy of all glory. Jalla fi ula. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes himself and describes his throne as being al-majid, being noble, being honorable, being glorious. In verse 16, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, فَعَالٌ لِمَا يُرِيدٌ He does whatever he will. And I think the translations are very similar. Sahih uh, International, effector of what he intends. Or he is the doer of whatever he intends or the doer of whatsoever he intends. Very similar in terms of their translations. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after mentioning his greatness, Jalla fi his power, his ability, his glory, subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah azza wa jalla in verse 16 mentions something which is therefore next to it, or linked very closely to it, and that is, that he is fa'alun lima yurid. He does as he pleases. Does whatever he will, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why it's important, especially in what's going on across the world in our time today, Allah azza wa jalla, Make things easier. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower his mercy and his rahmah and his barakah upon uh, the ummah and, and save us from, from oppression. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing to us in these verses is that Allah azza wa jal is dhul arsh al-majid. He is full of all nobility, full of all glory. He is the one that controls everything. Everything subhanahu wa ta'ala it is in the control of Allah azza wa jal and he does as he pleases subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when the believer despairs, they despair because they don't know Allah Azza wa Jal. They haven't taken out the time to learn about Allah and His names and His attributes. And that's why the study of Aqidah, this science which is so important in our religion, but unfortunately which is so neglected in our time, studying about Allah Azza wa Jal, because people consider it to be a dry subject for some reason. They consider it to be a difficult subject. They consider it to be a subject which isn't very important. They consider it even to be a subject which is divisive. Because people have to speak about other sects and other groups and these people do it like this. And so people consider it to be divisive. And this is from the greatest traps of shaitan. Because what it's actually doing is taking people away from the science and from the knowledge of knowing who their creator is, who their Lord is, who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. This is from the traps of shaitan. These these uh, things or these calls in our time that aqidah is divisive. That don't learn about sex. That let's unite the ummah. As if unity of the ummah can be achieved by being ignorant of Allah Azza wa Jal, ignorant of his names, ignorant of his attributes, ignorant of those things that Allah mentioned in the Quran about himself that the Prophet وسلم, left us with. That's a that's a problematic call, it's a problematic issue if that's our understanding of what it is. When you don't understand who Allah Azza wa Jal is, or you haven't taken out the time to learn Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about Allah Azza wa Jal and his names and his attributes, then you're going to make conclusions or go to or find conclusions like that. But the person who takes the time to study and to learn, not because they want to be divisive, but because they want to learn about their Lord and learn about their Creator. And yes, then as a result of that, they can differentiate between those people who strayed in that very science. They strayed in that knowledge. So as to save themselves, and if that leads to them, them being called divisive, or it leads to them disagreeing or saying, no, I actually don't agree, I'm not going to be a part of that, I don't I don't believe it, that's not my religion, it's not my aqidah, my belief, then so be it. 
because that is the whole uh, principle of Islam. We do the same thing with people of other religion. We say to them that your understanding of God, what who Allah is, His names, that we don't agree with that. And so our religion tells us something different. So likewise, even in the fold of Islam, because all of those are Muslims, even with them we say that your understanding of the names of Allah, the attributes of Allah, the actions of Allah, the qadr of Allah, the decree of Allah, all of these things, it is problematic because it doesn't go in accordance with the Quran and with the Sunnah. And so when you learn about Allah Azza wa Jal, look at how your iman increases, how he brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Azza wa Jal says that after you've learned about him being Al-Majid, Al-Hamid, then know that Allah Azza wa Jal is fa'adun lima yureed. Allah does as he pleases. So why would you despair from Allah's mercy? Why would you become despondent? Because some of the ummah is going through an extreme trial, extreme difficulty, extreme hardship. And we make dua for them. And we ask Allah Azza wa Jal for his help for them. But at the same time, it shouldn't make you someone who has a crisis of faith, who has a problem in terms of your iman, who thinks that there's no hope in the ummah, who thinks that the ummah is all going to be destroyed or that there's no good in it or there's no point in doing anything or helping or making dua or trusting in Allah Azza wa Jal or believing in Allah's qadr. That is a lack of iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one who his throne is greater many more times than his kursi, which is greater many more times in the earth and the heavens, you think that he doesn't have control over what a group of people may or may not do, what happens to a group of people. So if Allah has allowed it, and Allah has willed it and decreed it, then the believer knows that there is always a hikmah, a reason, a wisdom that belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for Allah is adimun hakim. Allah is all-knowing, Allah is all-wise, Allah is al-ghafoorul wadood, Allah is all-forgiving, Allah is all-loving towards his awliya. And Allah is beloved to his awliya subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so therefore, these verses teach us, again in the context of this surah, in which we're speaking about a group of people that were tried and tested for their faith and punished and died, were tortured as a result of it, Allah is saying, no, O Muslims, that your Lord is the one who is Dhul Arsh al-Majid, fa'adun lima yurid. He forgives whomsoever he wills, as Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala said, and he repents upon whomsoever he wills, and he punishes whomsoever he wills. And that which he wills can never be stopped. And that which he does will can never come into existence. No one can stop standing in his way. No one can prevent his decree from taking place because he has dominion of the kings uh, of the heavens and the earth. وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ And he is almighty, all wise. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said something similar. He said that Allah Azza wa Jal does as he pleases. No one can withstand his, his rule or his, his command. No one can question him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. He does as he pleases uh, from his, uh, with his greatness and with his might and with his power and with his justice and his knowledge and his wisdom. And that's why it is said that Abu Bakr radiallahu an, when he was on his deathbed, radiallahu an, when he was passing away during his khilafah, and his khilafah, as we know, was relatively short, only a couple of years. He was in his uh, deathbed and it's reported that uh, one of the people that were there with him one of the people that came to visit him asked or he said to him, uh, has the tabib come? Has the physician come? Has the doctor come to see him? And so they said, or he asked Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, has the doctor seen you? Right? Has the physician been to see you? He said, yes. He said to him, so what did he say to you? He said that he said to me, inni lima yurid. I will do as I please. Meaning, who is he referring to? Who is the doctor or the physician? 
He's referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah Azza wa is the one who cures and Allah Azza wa is the one who decrees illness upon people. So he said, and the, you know, he's thinking about the human physician. He's saying, I don't need anyone to come. Allah Azza wa has chosen that this will be the end of my time. He does as he pleases subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inni fa'alu lima yureed. And as Al-Qurtubi and Abu Hayyan and others said, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word fa'al instead of fa'il. Fa'il means a doer. Fa'al is someone who does as he pleases, as many times as he pleases, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he does as he pleases without anyone coming or standing in his way or uh, obstructing his will, jalla fi ula. Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions a number of points of benefit from this verse, and I want to go through some of them at least, and inshallah we'll conclude uh, with this. Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala says that the verse فَعَالٌ لِمَا يُرِيدَ Ibn Qayyim in a number of his works he focuses on verses like this فَعَالٌ لِمَا يُرِيدُ الْعَرْشِ الْمَجِيدُ الْغَفُورُ الْوَدُودِ These names that speak about Allah in terms of his names, his attributes, his actions, uh, his decree he focuses on this because of the aqidah element because of the element of knowing Allah learning his names and his attributes he says from the benefits of this verse or from the lessons that we can take from it or from the, the, the principles that we can derive from it is number one that Allah Azza wa does as He pleases subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Azza wa does and His actions are in line with His intentions because sometimes as humans you do something but you intended something else or you intended something but your action didn't bring about the result that you intended because that's the way it happens as humans. Sometimes you do something as, as Musa radiallahu an struck the man from from the Pharaoh, from, from, from Pharaoh's people, not wanting to kill him. He just simply wanted to stop him. But he killed him unintentionally. That's why we say unintentional. Allah Azza wa doesn't do things that are unintentional. فَعَالٌ لِمَا يُرِيدُ shows, as Ibn Qayyim says, that that which Allah does, He intended to do, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's problematic from an aqidah point of view when people think that there are certain things that take place, as the Qadriya said, and Allah didn't intend for them to happen. Allah didn't want it like that. Allah doesn't want this to happen at this time to those group of people. Allah Azza wa does as He pleases, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, He says, وَأَنَّهُ لَمْ يَزَلْ كَذَلِكَ لِأَنَّهُ لَمْ يَزَلْ That has always been the case with Allah Azza wa It's not something now that has happened, not something which took place in one time, not another time. It's not confined to only one generation or another, one circumstance or another, one event or another. Allah Azza wa does as He pleases, subhanahu wa ta'ala. That has always been the case. Which therefore shows that if Allah doesn't want to do something, He doesn't do it. If Allah doesn't will for it to happen, can't take place, as Allah mentions elsewhere in the Quran. He says number three that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he says Lima Yurid, Lima Yurid the Mahya, this Mosulatun In the Arabic language, this ma shows that it encompasses everything. Allah does whatever he intends. There is no limit. As some of the people of, of misguidance from amongst the Muslim sects, they said that if it's good, then Allah wants it. And if it's evil, then Allah doesn't want it. Meaning that Allah doesn't decree it. Allah doesn't allow it to happen. There are other things that come and take place. That's problematic. Allah Azza wa doesn't make a distinction between things. He says, lima He does all that he intends or he does all that he wants subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Azza wa he says number four, from the benefits or from the principles that we take from this verse also, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
whatever we intend, it must come to pass. Because humans sometimes do what they don't want, or they want what they don't do. As humans, you may want to do something, but you don't do it. You intend something, but you never get around to doing it. Or you act, but that's not your intention. It's not what you intended, as we said before as in the story of Musa salam. You do something, but it's not what you intended. Allah Azza wa Jal doesn't have this deficiency. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants something, He and uh, if Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, what, what Allah does, it's what He intended to do. And if Allah Azza wa Jal decrees something, then He can also He also creates subhanahu wa ta'ala. As we mentioned before when we spoke about the Muratib al Qadr, about the levels of decree of Allah Azza wa Jal, that Allah has knowledge, that Allah Azza wa Jal wrote everything down, that Allah wills everything, that Allah Azza wa Jal created everything subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, number five, he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has many actions. It's not just limited. Many actions subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah says fa'al. He does. And the word fa'al, because the word fa'il is someone who does something. Fa'il is the word, the doer. Fa'al does, does it many, many times subhanahu wa ta'ala as Allah says in the Quran. Every day Allah does as he pleases subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so, and number six, he says, therefore, that whatever Allah Azza wa chooses to do, there is no one that can stop this or no one that should reject this. So if Allah Azza wa wills, he descends to the dunya, to the to the lowest heaven of the dunya. And if Allah Azza wa wills, he will come on Yawmul Qiyamah. And if Allah Azza wa wills, he will unveil himself to the believers so that they may see him. And if Allah Azza wa wills, he smiles. And if Allah Azza wa wills, he becomes angry. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills, he will place his foot above the how fire so that it will stop increasing or adding to it all of these things are from the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala these are af'al of Allah azza wa jal Allah azza wa jal can speak Allah Allah azza wa jal speaks it is from his attributes Allah azza wa jal comes and Allah azza wa jal ascends and Allah azza wa jal descends all of these are mentioned within the Quran and within the sunnah all of these are attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they are af'al actions of Allah azza wa jal and Allah Azza wa does as He pleases. So just as from, from this uh, statement of Ibn Qayyim, we can see the theory, if you like, or the, the creedal aspect of what it means, then likewise then also shows from an Iman point of view that if this is your Lord, this is your Creator, the one who does as He pleases. If He wanted, He could open up the heavens and the earth for you in terms of risk. If Allah Azza wa wanted and you have illness, Allah Azza wa could remove from you every single harm and every single every single problem and if Allah Azza wa willed and you don't have children he could give it to you all of the children but likewise if Allah willed you would have no risk or very little risk and if Allah willed you would have you, if Allah wills you would have illness upon illness and if Allah wills you have no children he does as he pleases subhanahu wa ta'ala but for the believer because they know these names and attributes of Allah Azza wa they hold on to them and it forms the basis of their iman so when they worship Allah and they ask Allah and they seek Allah's forgiveness and his protection from his punishment and his anger, they know that Allah Azza wa Jal is Dhul Arsh al-Majid Fa'alul Lima Yurid. And likewise, when it comes to the issues of their dunya, in terms of oppression, in terms of hardship, in terms of injustice, in terms of all of these affairs, they know that Allah Azza wa Jal likewise is Dhul Arsh al-Majid Fa'alul Lima Yurid. And with that, inshallah ta'ala, we come to the end of the verse, verse number 16, and therefore, inshallah, to the end of today's lesson as well. So inshallah ta'ala next week then we'll continue from verse number 17 and we're coming now towards the very end of this surah.
If there's no questions, inshallah, then that will conclude. Barakallahu fikum, sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, wa assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.